<laughs> welcome, welcome. <laughs> Today is the 27th of Adar, and no one is listening to me. Yes, we are listening. Yes, sir. Oh. Hello? I'm listening. Testing. 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 You're welcome anytime, you know. The door is never locked. All right. If you don't know Marianne, she's sitting back in the corner. If you don't know Jeremiah, he's sitting over here. If you don't know Michaela, she's behind me. Marianne wants to learn the Birkat Hamazon. So we're going to teach it to her in English now. Sorry, it's the mind, you know. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who nourishes the entire world with goodness, grace, devotion, and compassion. He gives bread to all flesh, for his devotion is eternal. Because of his great goodness, we have never lacked and we shall never lack nourishment forever and ever for the sake of his great name. For God provides for and nourishes all. It is good to all and prepares nourishment for all of his creatures which he has made. Blessed are you, O Lord, who nourishes all. How many, I'm eight. How many of you get a, uh, an email like that when you get home that says, how was it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. How many, how many of you actually delete it right away and never tell us how it was? Okay, just check. I just, just wondering. Yeah, we know how it was. Yeah, I know. We're all here. We're, yeah. You're all here. That's right. Wait a minute. I got one that I thought was going to the people who set up the meetup, not, not you or Morgan. That is correct. Morgan set up the meetup, and you'll get an email reminder the day before that we're meeting today. I did get one after. And you should have gotten one this morning that's from. It is Morgan. I'm confused. I thought it came from. Yeah. <laughs> no, it comes from Morgan, but it's automated to say how was it. That's that's it. Yeah. Morgan personally hand types them. She does. She says she mails each one personally. It's an amazing. It's an electronic stamp. All right. She's a former switchering. That's it. That's it. And now a Bartos. This is the Messianic Jewish Shared Heritage Bible that I would bring to your attention, $44 uh, for the leather edition, I don't know what it is, for the non-leather edition, well, why would you buy the non-leather edition thing? But, so anyway, this has uh, the Tanakh, and it is the Jewish Publication Society, I think 1911 public domain deal. So if you look on the top shelf over there, you see the Jew JPS Tanakh, that's what's here, only it's Old English because it's public domain and that got moved into normal stuff. So the first half is quite common for what we look at. 
if you have a Tanakh, and it also does give you the names of the portions and lay those out. But the back half, the apostolic scriptures, are actually the uh, Tree of Life version. <laughs> I would, Scott and I look at TLV and think the living version. No, no, no. It's Tree of Life version. It's their own deal done by Messianic groups. Um, I haven't been through all of it right uh, as of yet. Um, they, uh, they self-published here. JPS and TLV, the Messianic Jewish Family Bible Project, uh, published by Destiny Image Publishers. Um, I have found that the Apostolic Scriptures in here, um, obviously they're going to use the name of Yeshua. Um, the Apostolic reading we did today that uh, Juliana read was much nicer in here. Uh, we saw Kohen, Kohen Gadol, Holy Place, things of that nature. It really was quite well done. So I can't, uh, I can't speak to all of it yet, but uh, where she read Law, I saw Torah, things like that. Um, pretty slick. So we'll have to look at um, some of the things that are a little bit different. For example, in the uh, uh, Complete Jewish Bible, or the Complete Jewish New Testament, Which we has have... The same, it has the same uh, Right. It has the same deal. And uh, his... Uh, Daniel... Is it Daniel? David Stern. David Stern. David Stern. Um, he, he does not... Um, did not believe that uh, the Torah was applicable for us. Um, in all ways, and because of that, he's got some things that are a little bit different. Um, so anyway, uh, hopefully we'll see how that goes. If you're going to read it, please wash your hands and don't get any spots on it. Is there anybody here, I don't think so, but I just want to make sure, this needs someplace to celebrate Seder. That was my next point. <laughs> Absolutely. If so we get them. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I um, that that was my next point. If you don't have a place to to eat the Passover, as it said in the text, which we will not do, but we will uh, gather in order to honor seven days. only matzot. If you don't have an opportunity to do that, see either Greg Upham, Rick Spurlock. Or actually, you should don't see me see Greg Barto since I'm going to his house. So, um, I can't uh, I can't help you. And if see the bride. And, and, and if you don't speak to one of the three of us, then you're denying us of a uh, opportunity to bless. You. That's exactly right. Speaking of denying the opportunity to keep a mitzvah, um, Roger Clark had surgery Thursday to have his kidney removed. I don't know if it's here or here, but if you'll recall about a month ago, we did pray for him, which, by the way, was an amazing blessing to him. Uh, and I know it was to several of the men that got up to pray, uh, as you've shared personally and privately with me. Um, he's at uh, CMC Uptown, and uh, I just have taken it on as a personal endeavor to make sure that the guy laughs enough that it hurts. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've, I've, I've knocked that ball out of the park at least six times. Um, so you should go and visit, um, especially if you recall the words of our master uh, in the separation of the sheep and the goats. No pressure. Okay. Mm -hmm. Parasha Vayakel and? Pikudei. day. Okay. So uh, these are the last... Uh, two portions, actually half portions, in the book of Shemot, which means names, names right? Uh, this is the book of uh, Exodus, 
and uh, we read these together, at least partially, because it is a it is not a leap year. How many leap years do we get in the Hebrew calendar in a period of uh, glad wow. the wine wasn't under it? <laughs> That's the bite of the Word of God. If you're, to, uh, yeah. How many? Uh, how many? By the way, uh, the stand also doubles as a mouse. Trap. That's right. Yes. Take those bad boys right out of there. That's it. Um, how many leap years do we do we get in a lunar cycle? How long is the lunar cycle? Nineteen years. Nineteen years, and how many leap years do we get in nineteen years? That's enough, Juliana. What insect does this correspond to? <laughs> so, 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 the author of the most awesome Hebrew calendar software on the market today just happens to be your father-in-law. I know. I know. Right? Yes. If you don't have Moedine, you really should download that. It's free. Um, but it's yeah, that, it's that, a great product. It's a great product. So, yeah, so we get, uh, we get seven leap years in that 19-year period. And this is not a leap year. We do not have an Adar 2, as Gregory brought up earlier today. It's the cicada. It's like the cicada. It's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It like reproduces. There it is. Thank you for sharing about these cicada reproduction stuff. Okay. Today is the 27th of Adar. How many, uh, on average, how many days in a Hebrew month? 30. Today's the 27th. There's only three days left in the year. So how many New Year's are there on the Hebrew calendar? At least four. At least four, right? So we've got certainly the one we all practice, which would be Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. This is the year, the head of the year for creation. Creation. Kings. Civil calendar. And the civil calendar, starting at the end of the year, September, October ish, right? And of course, we we celebrated that. But we have to read in uh, in the portion today, um, this week. Nissan is uh, actually it was we didn't read it this week. We were practicing it this week because it's a special Shabbat. Today is Shabbat Hakodesh, the Sabbath of the renewal, the new month, and uh, it is the Sabbath right before the first of the first month. What is the name of the first month? Nissan or Aviv. It's the it's got to be in the springtime, which is why we have leap years. Because it has to stay in the springtime. Which is brilliant, because otherwise you end up with a rotating calendar, in which case we celebrate Pesach in the middle of July or December, depending on the year. That's exactly right. Muslims Snow on the ground, and, and there we go. That's right. Okay. So, um, first of the year, Nissan won. And I think we're going to see something special here in this portion. If, uh, if you'll recall, as you read through this week, when did they finally finish and stand this little bad boy up, this tent in the wilderness, this tent of meeting, as it were? First, first of On the first of Nissan. How about that? How apropos. How so this fitting. Monday night slash Tuesday is the something something year anniversary of the. It's exactly right. The yes, it happened a long time ago. That's right. I'm sorry? About 3,500 years. Exactly correct. Exactly correct. Good. So. Uh, as we get into the uh, the portion, we uh, we recall the last time we were together, uh, which was also a special Sabbath. That was the Shabbat Parah. Well, last time was. I mean, last week or last time? Two weeks ago when we met, wasn't it Shabbat Parah? No, no, it wasn't. It was uh, Zakhor, right? 
so in between, we had Shabbat Parah um, and the, uh, the red heifer to prepare us for the, uh, the Pesach coming. And we read about putting all this stuff together and the dyed ram skins and these kind of skins and the hooks and the blanks and the spindles and sockets and all that kind of stuff together. So if you could summarize the beginning of the portion, what would you say? I'd like actions, colors, and times. The work was done by a lot of skilled workers. Absolutely. Male or female or both? <coughs> both. Good. Exactly right. We had skilled women. And, and I, I don't know what your version had. I had wise-hearted person. Any wise-hearted person. I like that. Okay. Blue. Good. Give me another color. Twisted linen. Twisted linen. Crimson. Crimson. Or scarlet. Scarlet. Tachelet. Tachelet. Yes, ma'am. Um, this is in conjunction with what we're reading, but um, I was privileged to hold the ephod that has been made. Really? For the, for the Temple Institute? I, I held it in my hand. Wow. It's beautiful. I bet it is. It's purple and red woven with gold thread, and it's mm -hmm. actual gold wire. Wow. It's very heavy. And the stones, I was amazed because being an ex jeweler's wife, uh, the stones were about this big. Wow. And one of them is a sapphire, one right. of them is an emerald. Right. And, I mean, and they're beautiful. And they have found a way to etch the stones with laser technology. So they've written the names of the, each tribe each onto each appropriate stone. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah, uh, if you're not familiar with the Temple Institute, you want to go online and, and, and read about these guys. They are preparing everything necessary <laughs> for the. Uh, I'm sorry, except in Ark, yes. Um, and actually, I think as you're walking, as you're walking through the, the mall area and the streets there, you can actually see. At least it was down below when I was there. It's up now. It's up. If you come the whole menorah, you come around the corner from the Jewish quarter towards the Western Wall, the hotel. They, it's got this little cool. Glass and Al case little thing. alcove deal where you and can see it. The, the letter from Alarms the, uh, the, all over the letter from the, uh, <laughs> the the Semple Institute when they put the golden menorah there and they moved it up to that point, they moved it um, considerably closer to the Temple Mount that way, and they said they were just getting it closer to its final destination. That's good. I like those guys. Yeah. Yes, sir. Go ahead. <laughs> a couple of uh, a couple of things. One is we have a tradition that says. Uh, at the end of Yom Kippur, we immediately do what? Start the soup. Start building. I was going to say eat. Right? <laughs> as soon as that fast breaks on, in that in the evening, at the end of Yom Kippur, the tradition is we immediately start building the sukkah. Um, part of that part of that tradition comes from here because there's an understanding that. Moshe, you know, Moshe went up for 40 days, 40 nights, got the first tablets, came down. That didn't work out. That didn't well. work out too well. Went, you know, went back up to intercede, came back down, went back up a third time with a set of tablets. Blank, blank tablets. Right. You know, and then was up there for 40 days, 40 nights, and came back down, right? And the, that, that final time he came back down, according to Chazal, he came back down on Yom Kippur. And this is when, yeah, so he comes down on Yom Kippur with the second set of tablets, his face glowing and all of that. And the first thing he does is he starts instructing them on 
how to build the tabernacle based on the pattern that God had shown him. On how, how to build the sukkah for God. Exactly. So, so that's where we get this tradition that we immediately start working on our sukkah, on our tabernacle. Exactly. You know, following him before because it's understood that that was kind of the timing when he came down from the mountain. Right? Excellent, excellent. Uh, <clears throat> the other thing I was going to add is this, part, this portion starts out with a kind of restating the injunction about the Sabbath, right? right. Six days you work, but on the Sabbath you rest. Uh, and it's a day of complete rest, and whoever does work on it shall be put to death. So that's kind of like that that's that's pretty intense, right? And that word work in the he, in Hebrew is the word uh, malacha, which is a unique word, it doesn't really have a true English equivalent, but the first time that word shows up is back in Genesis one, where it says God rested from all his malacha. And so what's interesting is before Moses um, assembles everybody, verse 4, well, he assembles everybody, and the first thing he does is he says, now remember, you cannot work on the Sabbath, and if you do, you might die. And then he goes into saying, now, here's what we got to do. And to, he goes to build the tabernacle. To build the tabernacle. So it is from this um, that the understanding um, is that the, that word malacha, because it's first used back in Genesis 1 at the end of God creating all of the heavens and the earth and six days and everything, right? That it has to do with creative work. And in fact, because it is positioned in the Torah immediately um, ahead of this discussion of all the work that they were going to do to build the tabernacle, that the understanding is that the malacha specifically has to do with the types of work that were required to build the tabernacle. And in fact, if you if you you know later on in this chapter, when it talks about Bezazel and Oholiab, it says that they are craftsmen that were skilled to perform malacha malachot. In other words, they were skilled specifically to perform these creative works but nevertheless they had to stop on Sabbath right exactly. so all exactly. of the work pertaining to the tabernacle had to cease for the for the Sabbath there's another interesting concept tied to that because the tabernacle of course is a physical um, sanctuary on earth but the Sabbath we know if any of us, have, those of us who have studied anything about Sabbath, is a sanctuary, as it were, yeah. in time. Mm -hmm. So it's like you stop building the earthly physical tabernacle in order to edify or participate in the sanctuary in time, which exactly. is called Shabbat. So anyway, just some. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of things going on here in this excellent, portion. Excellent presentation. The thirty nine malachot is from this. The the stuff that we're not, or the sages would say you should not do on the Sabbath, comes from here. This is why, at least in our family, we don't knit on Shabbat, much to their chagrin. <laughs> you know that's that's the deal there. Let me ask you just real quick. Um, can I tie my shoe? 
on Shabbat. Yes. Why? Because it's not a permanent. Because it's not a permanent knot. Can I tie my zitzit on Shabbat? No. Because no. that knot's not intended to come back out again. It's a permanent knot. And, and even if you don't uh, ascribe. ascribe to the, the 39 melachot, uh, we should be very careful of being dismissive. Just as, as, just as, as uh, Greg has, has given us, and it, this is not alone, this is just an example of the same thing. When the sages consider things, they don't just do it out of, out of a whim to, to somehow put a labor upon us. Right. Or, or rather, there's, there's a motivation. And the motivation is... is whether you ascribe to or not is 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 healthy and good and and when you look at the 30 uh, 39 melachot you should consider them as as healthy and good uh, and do your best to at least recognize where they came from and then apply them to the modern life as best you can exactly and in our family we want to take seriously the injunction from God that says remember the Sabbath to do what to keep it separated, set apart, different, right? Well, how are you going to do that? Well, if you live on an island where you live all by yourself and you have no community, you can do that pretty much any way you want. You split coconuts on every day of the week, we're well, not going to split coconuts on Shabbat. You know, that kind of deal. You can paddle your own canoe and come up with whatever way you want that will set it apart, and I think God will honor that. As long as you don't paddle your canoe on Shabbat, you know. But, but in community, we try to provide a consistency and bounce that off of one another and determine how are you keeping Shabbat. Does that line up with how you keep Shabbat? Well, what are the ways that we have in common so that we can together honor God in His commandments? Simple as that. It's a good deal. Um, I, I think the 39 Melachot is, is one of the greatest examples of the wisdom of the sages and how they work. Because they didn't start the list of 39 Melachot until they noticed, as Greg has pointed out, wait a second, he just came down with those tablets, we need a place to put them, we're supposed to build this thing, this is really cool, he's going to tell us how to build it, but before he does that, he as important as it is, he stops and reminds us about Shabbat. Why did he remind us again right here? I don't think I have an answer for that other than to remind us that we're not supposed to work on Shabbat. Now, to then extrapolate it and say, well, what kind of work? Well, what kind of work did it take to do this? I, I can see the mindset. I, I can't argue with. And the and, and the kind of work, regardless of whether you agree with the definitions that you know that they came come up with, yeah. down through the through the centuries, whatever kind of work it is, if you do it, you might die. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's not just, really serious. It's just a it's a play game. Well, <laughs> not exactly. You know, so you, you, we can't just kind of dismiss this as oh well. Whatever. Yeah. No, I mean this is this is potentially a life, a life and death. Yeah. And if you got a problem with that, don't talk to me. That's talk to God. Amen. Right. So that's exactly right. So however you define whatever the work is, don't do it. Right. How many of you have had the privilege, the opportunity, um, to do what I know that Scott and I have done, uh, working in the in the local church and getting things ready for 
a worship service. How many of you have done that? You know, whether it's putting candles in staves or... This is town. By setting up the chairs and stuff? Yes, that I've done. Okay, sure. Yeah, there you go, right? So, um, you know, making sure that the hymnals are on the pews, that every other hymnal is actually a Bible, and, you know, two, 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 three, two, 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 three, two, two, you know, that kind of thing. Um, turning the lights on, make sure the heat is up in the middle of the winter before everybody shows up. Those kind of things. You know what I'm talking about? Does everybody come? Not at me, so I feel like I'm not, you know, with pagans. Good. Okay, so, um, do, what you, <laughs> do, do you not see that kind of specificity? Do you not see that kind of care and prep in the opening pages of this portion? I mean, that's, that's what they're doing. Measure yeah. twice, cut once. Yeah. You know, aim small, miss small. I mean, they're, they're just... Oh, I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, are, they are in there intricately making sure that everything is set up. And I like, you know, a few pages later where, okay, we're going to... Okay. Got a post. Got a socket. Already got a socket. Got a post. Right? So you get the, the double socket deal. Post goes on this one, post goes on that one, and now they're connected. Did you, did you get it? The, the socket is like a double deal. Post, post, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, this is how you put it all together. The precision. Yes. Oh and it's an amazing thing. Now, if you've not had the privilege of coming here early, please come early one day. <laughs> and setting up all the chairs. And, oh, man, it looks like the Wrights are going to be here, and the Gordons are going to be here, and the Martins are going to be here, and, and, and. we got to get rid of that table. The table can't stay. So Pete, come on over here. Let's, let's lift up the table and have all the girls move the bottom out of the way so we can shove the glass up onto it. That's what I'm talking about. That whole prep thing is, is what we're reading. It's, it's beautiful. Isn't it amazing that every step, every move has been so carefully written down and yet in our pride and sometimes arrogance, we will say, I know how we're supposed to worship him. The music has to be done before the sermon. And then we have one hymn and go home. The carpet has to be some shade available in nature. If it's not green or brown, there's a problem. You laugh. You laugh. Yes. <laughs> you can cry, too. That's right. Yes, sir, go ahead. On what you were just touching on in terms of the, the work and preparation yes. that people might do on the Shabbat yes. for the Shabbat, right? Uh, it's interesting because Yeshua touches on this exact issue in Matthew 12, famous passage... Uh, at that time, Yeshua went through the grain fields on the Shabbat, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Prashim, Pharisees, saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So, so let me pause there for a second. They're walking through the this grain field on the Sabbath, and his disciples, notice Yeshua did not pluck the grain, but some of his disciples did. Prashim, who were following him around, right, um, noticed this and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold up, time out. Somebody, you, your disciples just violated the Shabbat. Now, 
There's a couple different takes on this passage, uh, but one take is that in fact they did violate Shabbat because uh, we are prohibited explicitly in the Torah to not harvest. Okay, so there is a school of thought that says if you're plucking grain, that's equivalent to harvesting. <coughs> that is a, an explicit. That's not an implied or derived malacha or work. It's an explicitly stated. So. If that's true, then yes, they violated the Sabbath. But Yeshua comes to their defense. And what does he say, verse 3? But he said to them, Have you not read when David, uh, when David, uh, what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law, that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath. How do they profane the Sabbath? Because they're they've got a fire going on the altar, they've got all kinds of stuff. They're, they're killing animals. Killing they're animals. Okay. Sweating. They're and sweating. How they profane the Sabbath and yet are blameless. Okay. So, when it comes to work that we might do on Shabbat for, for preparing for prayer service or whatever the case may be, for the benefit of the community, I think Yeshua is kind of saying, look guys, is that a violation of Malachi? Yes. But it, is there iniquity attached to it? No. Because it is for a greater purpose. Amen. So, yeah. nice. I, I think it's a, great, uh, it's a great passage. I think um, perhaps on a different day we can, we can dig in further to see is the master giving them a buy because it's not work? Or is he defending them even though they did violate the Sabbath, which he doesn't do? I mean, the beauty about Matthew chapter 12 is what's not there. He didn't do any of it. They did. He never said they didn't violate the Sabbath. He didn't say they did violate the Sabbath. He just gave two examples. I don't think the fact that he gave one of King David, his father, has nothing to do with a messianic reference at all. We should look at that. It can be a great opportunity. Yes, sir. I was thinking about um, where it's obviously we have to prepare for Shabbat. Yes. And picking the grain, it's obvious he wasn't just trying to dismiss it because if he was, then he would be going directly against what you pointed out and earlier in Exodus where they had to pick the manna early mm. because going out to get the manna right. was the same as harvesting. So he couldn't have been dismissing the fact that they were getting the food to eat because they were hungry and were unprepared. Yeah. It, it could be. On the other hand, the flip side to that is, is taking the heads of the grain and doing this in your hand really harvesting? And because you've got a you've got a tremendous a, split. The, Tom, the Talmud actually speaks directly about it. Yeah. And so and there's a lot of debate on those types of points because you could link it to the shemitah year where you're allowed to do that, right, but you right. can't actually you know take the stuff. Yeah. Or you can do you know so it's that it's it's somehow? it's an amazing thing. But what do you mean the shemitah year? The you shemitah, can't, you like, can't, you can't harvest, harvest. But what do you mean but, by but, but you're allowed you're to allowed eat, to eat whatever you go. In fact, if I wander into your field. And I pluck at an apple and eat it. That's fine, even though it's your apple, because I'm only eating what I need. Yeah. But so if I walk into your field with the basket and start right. pulling apples down, that's a problem. So you break the shemitah year by gathering 
ahead of time, but by doing it on Shabbat. No, no, but on a, not on Shabbat. Yeah. So it's, I mean, we, we can go on and on. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a fabulous um, um, look, and, and I would, I would, I, w- I would want to close it out with, I think, where Greg was going, and that is, look at the way the master handled the situation. He cared for his, his people. He tried to correct theological error or concern, and at the same time, made it clear that he was the Lord of the Sabbath without violating anything. Just a master of it, working within it to bring glory to himself and to his Father. I think that's just very cool, and we should be adept at that. But um, knowing what the sages have said about it, knowing what we know about whether this is or isn't, whether the Talmud, what the Talmud says about it, and what the sages say, yes. Next topic. Yes. Okay. Um, Julian and I were talking about this passage being particularly odd. Shocking! You're talking about the Word of God at home? I know. <laughs> please, please, don't Who raise tell. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> so, um, strike that from the tape. Yeah, exactly. Um, we are uh, discussing this issue, and this is easily one of the oddest passages, perhaps, in the whole Tanakh, because it spends chapter after chapter, line after, after chapter, line describing the entire tabernacle in detail when just like five chapters ago we had chapter after chapter after chapter describing the exact how many, same How thing. many of you when you started reading through this thought to yourself I already read this and I must be on the wrong portion, right? <laughs> how many of you thought that? I must be on the wrong portion and had to double check yourself. Know. Yeah, so, it's amazing. What's cool about this then is it raises the question, why? Yes. Why would God find it so important to spend Words, all of which are profitable for instruction, reproof, instru- you know, etc. On this repetition, and one thing we discussed that was a possibility. I don't know for certain this would happen or not, but in thinking about the the, the end of days and thinking about the fact that um, the Temple Institute has done an excellent job already preparing a whole slew of these things that we've been um, reading about, uh, the possibility maybe they are going to build another tabernacle instead of building a temple. Because we got the entire blueprint in detail twice. That's exactly right. Which I was thinking as a Jewish a Jewish Judaism oftentimes places unique um, importance on think repetition. repetition and numbers. And like sometimes you'll see like this thing gets mentioned twice and they'll say, This is proof that they're talking about both temples. And you're like, where did they get that? Oh there's just two of them. I guess that's good enough. And so like this almost makes me think there's like two tabernacles. But there was only one. Well Sorry. there were there was another one. Yeah. But so does, does everybody understand? I mean, just in case you missed it, did you catch his 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 fundamental point? Not quite. The Temple Institute has prepared all the garments and everything to serve in the temple or tabernacle. It's the same stuff. But what would it take to build the temple today, where it's supposed to be built? A little I problem there, right? <laughs> we got another building in the way. Dynamite might be needed. I, yeah, I could help. Right. <laughs> I want to strike that from the tape. So, so the whole idea, and I think Joshua's point is, building a temple, we've had two so far, takes a long time. <coughs> really long time. A lot of work. A lot of hassle. A lot of lifting. And an empty place to put it. But the tabernacle was erected in a single day. And offerings were made at the end of that day. 
So if you got this little spot where there might need to be an altar, and you've got everything it takes to put up a mishkan, a temporary dwelling, it can be done very quickly. This could work in your end times thoughts. Sneak up there. That's right. Oh, look! A tabernacle out of nowhere. Who did that? <laughs> just, just to pick up on what Joshua was saying, it, it, this, um, the second half of the book of Exodus is one of the things that God used in my life about 12 years ago when we first started kind of coming down this path. Mm -hmm. Because when I was still in the church, I would read, you know, I would read the, you know, basically from about Exodus 25, 26 through, you know, through the end of the book. And start to choose. And, you know, he goes up on the mountain, he gets all the details from God of what he's supposed to do, right? Comes down from the mountain and, and it read, and it kind of read, uh, re describes everything almost verbatim, right? For, for several chapters, and I used to sit there and think, what, you know, why do I How need boring to know can it be? that there was 20 planks, mm -hmm. and it's 100 cubits, and 50 cubits, and 10 <coughs> curtains, and yeah, what is all the detail here for, yeah. right? But the question is exactly that, why? Because it's, if it's there, it's there for a reason, Amen. and it has application to me. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, then, how does the, all of this apply, and why did God feel like it's so important to repeat it in excruciating detail yeah. multiple times? And, and I think, you know, this is where the hermeneutics that we have, you know, the hermeneutical process we have from, um, from the sages is very helpful because, you know, at the surface level, the shot level, this is just, it's describing the instructions for the physical, historical tabernacle, right? And likely a future one as well. But because of the language, and I think we may have even talked about this a couple weeks back in one of the earlier portions, where God originally instructs Moshe to build a sanctuary so that I may dwell among you. Amen. And that word in Hebrew for among could actually be dwell in, in you, you, right? So, at a, at a deeper level, I think all of this detail about how to construct a tabernacle, it pertains to us because we are, uh, we are described and enjoined to be a temple, a tabernacle for God, for the Ruach. We see, you know, obviously, Shaul and Peter and others pick up on this concept in the, in the uh, apostolic writings. And so... If I am supposed to be a tabernacle where the presence of God dwells in me, then how should my life? Uh, what what? How should I be? Ref you know, what what should be reflected in my life, and what is required for a functioning tabernacle? Mm -hmm. And and that's why I think all of these details then start to have a real application because, you know, where is my menorah, where's my table of showbread, where is my... And there's, my, and there's my, an exactness exactly. to your... Exactly. exactly. Good. So, good. One of the things I kind of thought was so interesting, going back, to the detail, going back to the detail of what you were just describing, I thought it's so interesting that in describing the measurements and, and everything with the tabernacle and the 
the arc net. It's, it's so exact, even down to the measurements. And it's just interesting that there aren't a lot of other commandments that are like that. You know, even just taking tzitzit, for example. It never says how long to make them or how many knots to put in them or, or any of that. And it's just cool that this particular thing, God chose to make sure that there is no room for interpretation. You, you have exactly <laughs> what you need, and it shouldn't look any different. And he was given a blueprint before he started working. Right. And was actually able to walk around, not a model, but the real deal. Yeah. And Let's walk around together. Hand. I'm showing you. Yeah. See, see how these sockets work? I got, I got two sockets. So one of the posts goes on one socket. The next post goes on the next socket. So they kind of hold together. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I'll show you some more. Here, look at how we weave this together. Son of a gun. He's seen the whole deal, goes down the mountain, and now he's told, tell them what you saw and how to build it. Exactly. And we were talking about this morning how wonderful a community can be. And I just feel like that's a, another example of that. It's not really a, I mean, it is a community that helps build this, but it takes a community to really have a, commonality for other commandments That's right. when it comes to how you do this because it could look different. Yeah. Well, one of the things that makes us a community is that there is a commonality. I mean, where do you go on the second and fourth Shabbats? That's one common thing we have. Mm -hmm. It's not a big deal, but you, know, you are sitting here. Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am? Every once in a while I have this sort of dream or hope or whatever you want to call it that I'm going to wake up one morning and turn on the news and find out there's been an earthquake and the thing that's there now is gone. And yeah. the other one is half built. Yeah. How cool is it? It would be nice. I do have a quick question yes, about the two portions that you're saying are the same. Were they literally exactly the same? Yes. Oh, Actually, really? some of the verses are repeats oh, cool. yeah, they're almost, letter. They're almost verbatim. Uh, yeah. And the so measurements. there's nothing new in one and everything. Maybe well, there's one. Actually, there's, 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 really but there's different. verses that are, the measurements are all identical. They are. The but there is, is the, the math is yeah, the same. But there is one thing, it's a great segue. Thank mm -hmm. you, Marianne. There is one thing that's absolutely unique to this portion, and it's at the end of chapter 39. And as we get into 40, we see it again a few more times. There is one thing that is absolutely unique, and I don't care what you come up with as far as theological mind-bending, cool parallels with whatever, there is very clearly in writing something that we are to take away from the exactness of how to build this. What is it in writing that is absolutely without question what we should walk away with? Do you know, sir? Sorry, yeah. Yes, ma'am. That it worked? That it worked, and he did it exactly <coughs> as he was supposed to do it. <laughs> and it worked. It, did work. it was perfect. How do we know? It says so, and the glory came down and filled it. Over and over. It makes it very clear. I told you to build it exactly like this. And it says, and they did it exactly like he was supposed to. Mm -hmm. First, it says, and Moses said, do it this way. And he followed what God said flawlessly. Then it says, the people were told by Moses what to do, and they did exactly what Moses said to do. And, as Mary said, it worked. I thought we weren't able to keep the Torah completely. I hate that. I hate that. Not only, did, not only did it work, it worked so well that they couldn't, even Moses couldn't go in it. And that, if you don't walk out of here with anything, 
from these two portions, that is top shelf, the number one thing you should get. It worked. They were obedient to a fault, and it worked so well that even the holiest man on the planet who speaks to God face to face, whose face is shining, couldn't go inside. He was in God's presence. What's the difference in this tabernacle? Oh, you know, oh. Forgive me for I'm... Think about that. That's a, a good question. Fan, maybe you, maybe you see this. There used to be a movie, this story from Stargate. You know, the idea that even if you don't know how to make it, if you just make it right, it will work. And it is a portal into another world. But in this case, it's not a portal for us to go somewhere. Right. It's the opposite. It's actually, and this is where, this is the correlation. And I, by the way, I appreciate the, con, the connection to Shabbat. Because actually, this is, this is part of this issue. Is this tabernacle is a, is a space in time. There's an intersection between time and physical locality that cannot be explained, Einstein notwithstanding, that's being explained in this that's exactly right. and in Hebrews 8 and 9 that is totally lost because of the mistranslation and people's unwillingness to accept the fact that, first of all, God doesn't need bloody sacrifice. What he needs is he needs to be able to be in our presence and something is required. And he desires to be in our presence. What was this whole game about? Build this that I might dwell among you. And what happens? It worked! <laughs> He's able to dwell among us! There is a problem. We'll get into that in a minute. But I, I just want to make sure you've got what the two brains in the room have, have talked about. Right? We've got Shabbat being this tabernacle in time and we've got the Mishkan being a, a tabernacle in place or space and they've come together in that the most holy God who cannot be contained in the things of this world who is outside time created time he is the eternal one in the eternal now and yet he desires to dwell with us and to be with us the eternal one stepped into time and now you can measure how long has the eternal one who's outside time been inside that thing we built he's been there 42 43 minutes 40 44 minutes the one who is not containable has been contained the one who is unseeable has been seen the one who is unknowable is known to be right there. You've got a tear in the fabric of whatever it is we're living in to allow him to be with us. Why? Because he wants to. That's amazing. It is amazing. And if you don't get that from this, you need to go back and reread it because you missed it. That's the, that's the message. Which then, of course, also ties in to Messiah Yeshua in John chapter 1. Bring it on. John chapter 1, he, referring to the Word of God, a.k.a. Messiah Yeshua. Who is before. Who is, who is outside time. Exactly. Became flesh and tabernacled. There it is. With us. He mishkan with us. That's verse 14, not verse 13. John chapter 1 and verse 14. He tabernacled among us. 
It's, it's this. It's this. He beheld his glory. As the only begotten of the Father. It is an extraordinary thing. So if, if our job as, as believers in Messiah Yeshua are to walk through page after page after page of the Torah and see not only the will and wisdom of God, but to see Messiah, the very word of God itself, on each page, then, man, when you get here, it ought to be over the top. Yes, ma'am. Just a bit of a sidebar. If, um, if you ever get to read Rick's study, I think it's the first one, Messiah in Genesis. Mm-hmm. And you did that thing about the horns of life, Moses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just the introduction was good. Amen. She has that name. I say read it. It is. It's good stuff. I say read anything. (laughs) (laughs) Let me redirect, please. (laughs) Thank thank you very much. The uh, but this this, these all could be so misconstrued and misapplied, and that's we we need to be careful how we approach this because we get excited about reading it, and the church got excited about reading it too, and they built cathedrals. And and the problem is that if you don't, if you're not careful, you can. You can misconstrue in some very obvious ways. For instance, he says, come and give me all your gold and your silver. And then at the end of the first portion, half portion, it gives us the account. 29 kikar were collected, an insufficient amount of gold. The silver is all accounted for, but the gold is not. There's not enough gold. In fact, there's probably less than half the amount of gold necessary. Where do you think the rest of the gold went to? The, the previous portion. They made a golden calf. Oops. In other words, God had provided all the tools necessary to build this sanctuary in space. And they spent it on what they thought God wanted instead of what he wanted. So they made a golden calf instead of... And, and you know, the sages, they don't know where the extra gold came from. The... the No, actually, they're thinking thinking Moses actually spent it. Moses provided the gold personally. Wow. Uh, But regardless, the point is that the gold gold went into the calf, not into the not into the tabernacle, because the correct amount was available, but they'd already spent it. And so instead of building cathedrals or build it, we can you know build it, and they will come you know family life centers. (laughs) We're supposed to be praying for the for the peace of Jerusalem and the building of a tabernacle or temple there. It's Rick Spurlock, Marines <laughs> online. And the gold that was used for the golden calf was no longer available. It's not like they could just kind of... Yeah, they ate it. It was no longer available. That's right. I'm wondering if That's you right. There's it's, a way to collect it. I'm I tell sure. you what, it's outside the camp. Oh, yeah. This latrine. That's right. It's outside the camp. But I do think that this passage, one of the things that's beautiful in this passage, not only do we get a cool introduction into God's approach to man, but I love the neat little illustrations we get about our lives that are the drosh and lower levels of this passage. The Peshat's very simple. They did this, they did that, they brought this, they brought that. But when you start getting to like the drosh level and below on this, it's very fascinating. Like for example, this next portion, it lists all of the different things that they brought, which surprised was exactly the different things they were supposed to bring. It's the exact same things. It goes in detail. These are the wise-hearted ones. Yeah, they, they, they do all of this stuff. And then at the end of it, it says, oddly enough, it lists the Shoham stones brought by the leaders as like almost the last thing on the list, which is very odd because we've since list red-dyed ramskins and copper 
and acacia wood and all the different things that were, you know. Yeah, like lumber. We're talking precious stones. Lumber. And the precious stones are at the bottom. Yeah. And the sages look at this and go, well, that's odd. Why on earth did, this, did that get mentioned at last? They say what happened was the leaders um, goofed. The leaders, in an effort to try and make sure that they had everything covered, they weren't trying to be like selfish or foolish, but never trying to make sure they had covered. They waited till everybody else brought everything they could. Back of the line. They took the ba- They stepped back. They led from behind. We've heard that phrase before. And they they let they let all the people around them bring the stuff first. And they said, you know, we'll just contribute whatever's left over. It was a very noble goal. Unfortunately, it's messed up. It kind of blew up in their faces because at the end, all that was left to bring were the stones because everything else had been given already. They they learned from this mistake because we read the numbers later. Yeah, later on, they bring like, they literally right cartfuls of stuff <laughs> like as quickly as possible because they wanted to make sure it was covered. <laughs> and so what we learn from this is the importance of like leaders, especially, but everybody, but especially leaders, of taking initiative and acting. And it's it's like that lesson that Colby did a few weeks ago for the yes. study class, yes. which will someday be on the internet. Yeah, that's right. Um, Although I have it on my computer. It's a okay, great okay. class. Yeah. It was so it's so cool because his point was if you're gonna miss miss high and away miss by go essentially miss go by over action. the top right. miss by action not by inaction exactly. so in this case is a clear example where if you're gonna miss miss by taking initiative <laughs> rather than waiting on everybody else mm-hmm. and I mean there's so many different things it's one of the quick point Juliana and I were talking this week about how funny it is that somebody carried the acacia wood with them now granted some of this acacia wood is for poles that span the length of the tabernacle. So I'm sure somebody's thinking, why do I have like a 50-foot pole in the back of my cart that I'm carrying around the wilderness with me for a year? It's like my neighbor in Egypt happened to be a lumberjack, and for some reason he gave me this, this acacia wood, and I'm just carting it around. And then finally we get to this portion, and the guy's going, that's me! I got that I have a reason for that. And it's thinking about like our lives, how many times God gives us gifts or skills or all sorts of things, and we're scratching our heads going, why? Do I have this? Exactly. What was the point of this? But, but, you know, yeah. but God if you stay has in community, eventually, everything that you've been blessed with will have an obvious purpose. Mm-hmm. Science. I personally believe <laughs> that as leaders, we should lead from the front by example every day. Gary stole my point, but uh, no longer. I'm um, sorry. It's, it's okay. The lumber's amazing. I will say that that was something that really struck me. I read it. There's a couple of things I found that interesting in the portion. I actually didn't know it was a double portion, so I only read half of it. But That's all right. The rest That's right. Sure. And I'm reading it, I'm going, there's a couple of different things. And I'm reading all the acacia wood. I am like, wait a minute. That's a lot of wood. And it's <laughs> heavy wood. around much wood. Yeah. It's really heavy. Yeah. yeah. There are no acacia trees in the wilderness. No. Well, yeah. I think sometimes we have the, the Veggie Tales idea of what the, what the camp looked like. You know, it's like a shed. Like uh, an over glorified shed with. Yeah. I, if, I, yeah. I mean, if, if you ever seen like the movie Kildago, I think is how you put it. Mm. That tent is probably like the like the size of this whole house, mm. basically. I mean, these aren't these are upscale tents. This is the cool. <laughs> cool. So it's, just, it's, yeah. it's, it's not hard. For, Running water. Yeah. Exactly. It's not oh, yeah. hard for me to fathom the uh, all these materials going into it. And, and if you put yourself in the culture at that time, then it's then you 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 see a little. I mean, this is a feared nation, not. A nation of, of you know, wandering ra- ragamuffins who goes out to be ragamuffins. I mean, it's 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 organized and it's um, I don't know how else to put it, but it, yeah, well, I, I they survived right. several thousand years. So that's they're right. Pretty top that's right. So basically, like the the, yeah. the tent idea, they you know, for, to build the tabernacle, it's like okay, Julian, I'm really sorry, we're gonna have to take down the rec room, but they need to give <laughs> right, the exactly. lumber right. to right. the tabernacle. Which makes it much more of a much more gift. Much where more did where did most of the stuff? 
come from? The neighbors. So when <laughs> when you go back and you're reading in Exodus chapter six, verses six and seven, you're going to read those two verses over and over and over again over the next couple of weeks. Why? Because that's what the Seder's all about. Those are where the four cups during the Seder come from. And I think there's a pretty good argument that the Master had the same kind of Seder that you all will have on his last Seder. It wasn't the Last Supper, it was the Last Seder. His, but when you read his. through Exit his, when you read through, for a while, when <laughs> for you now. read through <laughs> Exodus and you, you see that they plundered Egypt and the Egyptians were just giving them all this gold and all this cool stuff. Everybody open up the cool stuff box you got when you left Egypt? Yeah. I think we're going to need most of the cool stuff. Cool stuff box. That's what you love. And everybody just trying to bring it all out. You know, you got some folks with the nose rings. But, you know. Yeah, the athletics are clean. That's right. That's right. No shame. That is a cool thought, though, when it comes to Egypt. You know, we... We think about all the, the time they're there, and we, we understand there's a port for them to be in Egypt. When yes. you realize that all the things they're bringing are coming from Egypt, it brings a whole new importance to why they were there. Exactly right. It's like if they hadn't left the way they did, I don't know that they would have ever gotten that much stuff from and, Egypt. And quite frankly, what happened to the patriarchs happens to the people eventually. When you look at Daniel in captivity, this is a different captivity, this is a different exile. Why do we have a second temple? Because Daniel was the guy. And Cyrus, eventually, at the back end of Second Chronicles, chapter, I'm going to say 36, but I may be a little loose on my Second Chronicles stuff. Actually, I'm reading Chronicles by itself, because in the Hebrew Bible it's not first and second. But it closes with Cyrus saying, if you are one of the Lord's people, what is it, chapter 36? Mm -hmm. well, read the last two verses, if you would, son, or the last verse. 22-23. Now in the first year of Cyrus king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up in the spirit of Cyrus king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and also put it in writing, thus says Cyrus king of Persia. Here's the proclamation. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Let him go up. That's how the Old Testament ends in the Hebrew Bible. It's not Malachi or Malachi, the Italian prophet. It's not that. It's that right there. If Daniel wasn't in captivity, there wouldn't have been a Cyrus who learned of the Lord and offered to have the temple built. If the children of Israel were not in captivity in Egypt, there wouldn't have been anything with which to build that tabernacle. I think there's a there's a proverb or a or a song uh, that comes to mind that uh, I think it says something like the wealth of the wicked is laid up for mm -hmm. the righteous. Yeah. That's right. Which is exactly what we see in uh, the Exodus story, where the wealth of Egypt, the wicked, yes. was handed over. To the righteous. Yes. 
and and like you know again we see that with, with Daniel and so yes and, you know I think we will see a similar phenomena at the end of days with the great races. Amen. So back to Joshua's point, uh, original point. Isn't it true that everything that happens in your life today happens only because God has allowed it to happen? And is there a reason for it? Of course there's a reason for it. Do you have to know the reason? No. Who do you think you are? I mean, really. That's not your job. Your job is to be obedient and to glorify Him in all that you say and do. Amen? Amen. And He will use every circumstance in your life, including captivity, either in Babylon or in Egypt, to bring glory to Himself, to further His purposes, and ultimately, that His Son might reign in that city. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, to take the touchy-feely approach to this. Mm, you never do. Um, <laughs> um, she's from Texas that's a little warning on the front end <laughs> that's one thing that all these details means to me is that God is a God of details Amen. and so when I read all of this then I see that it comes from him it's just not men coming up with their own plans but I see the details and I think okay God you know specifics down to numbers, the net everything and so it, it increases my faith amen that the details of my life matter. He has in his hands. They matter. You're exactly correct. Yes, sir. And I'm reading through the Haftarah for this week in Ezekiel, which is also filled with amazing details. Yes. Um, it about gives eight, a, eight chapters. It's about a, wait a minute, it's about a, a temple that doesn't yet exist. Yeah. Yes, which I was going to just say gives me great hope and faith that God is going to do it. And I do want everyone to notice that in Ezekiel, chapters 36, 37, I keep going, uh, it's not a tabernacle, guys. It is a temple. Although that one may be uh, yet fourth, another stage. Yeah, number four, possibly. But regardless, one of the cool things about it too it's is got gates. If, if it's you, a big deal. If you've it's got built. issues with you your um, non-observant friends who are all into the, well, no, the offerings have stopped. Yes. Go read what we just read in the Haftarah. It has sin offerings, peace offerings. It's got the whole yeah, it shebang. Does. Of and course, the is doing them too. Of course, I think the, the, the response from your concert B-flat Presbyterian would be, that temple will never be built. Because it's a spiritual concept. And you're just missing it, Joshua. It happens. It happens. It's it's just, the gate's going to go in one way and it'll come out. That's right. Way. That's right. But it's all, it's all <laughs> spiritual, right? Just a quick question about the temple. Which temple? The Ezekiel one. The Ezekiel temple. Like Joshua read this morning. About the prince. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. You just said the prince also offers. Hanesi. Because it, it sounded like from, from the text that the prince has children. Yeah, yeah, sons. So. He also has sin offerings, so go figure it so out. So we don't really know who that is. I no think idea. that I could make a pretty good argument. That's a different class. Because mm. don't children normally. You don't come from the ones. Don't children normally come normally. from a woman? To all the, to all the men. Yes. Um, how, many, how many of you men who are married with children have children? Mm. <laughs> think about that. I mean, it only takes well, a second, I right? Always, yeah. I was always hurt. I was told that Yeshua was the prince. Yeah, I don't yeah, think Yeshua is right. the prince. I think David is the prince. The Nasi that is described in Exodus 36 and on, I believe, is King David. Which, and that would fulfill all kinds of cool stuff because, well... Like I said, it's a different Peter's class. Peter's going to research this. But yeah, Peter's going to have a tiny class on the Nazi. Does he say he also? Like I, I was pretty sure when 
that class that we did, like, there is a verse that says that. And the prince is David. Isn't that? I kind of remember something very explicit. It's pretty close, but there's a lot of controversy. But we can't go through that now because we're going through the portion Peku Day. Real quick, another thing about the... I, I, I like to um, try to focus in on the oddities of this passage because mm-hmm. I think those tend to stand out and highlight stuff. And one of the things that stood out to me um, that's very strange about the tabernacle is that it's almost like inverted from the way that you would think in terms of its appearance. You know, the copper is on the outside, then it gets to be silver, and then it's gold. The entirely gorgeous, you know, woven, cool multicolored stuff. walls of the tabernacle are then covered with red diagram skins and takash skins, and you really can't see any of it from the outside. Right. So Orpus skins. Like you look at you look well, at like the. If you think about it, it's now waterproof. Right. True. No, that's very. It's very practical, but it's very interesting to me that like you, you look at the, uh, out from the rain. You look at the yeah. But they you look at the temple. Marcus. They say oh, the temple. Oh no. The temple had was is considered one of the. Uh, What's like, gonna leave a bruise? Wonders of the world. Like the sages say that every no one has truly seen beauty until they've seen the temple. Yeah. So it like glistened from the outside. Whereas the tabernacle is the opposite. It's completely internal. Yeah. Almost all of the beauty. I mean, the intricacy of this menorah, almost no one will ever see. Mm-hmm. And the thing about that that was really interesting to me is one, it, I think it highlights the idea that the purpose of the tabernacle was for God, first and foremost. It was about God and his preparing a place for him. And so what would you do to, to honor a king? You would make the place that he's going to be in as beautiful and glorious as possible. It's not for the people. It's for him. The other thing about it, though, that I've been kind of messing around with more and more in my mind um, that's worth more research is the idea that God likes to cover things. Throughout the Tanakh, throughout the Torah, throughout the, mes- the apostolic writings, Yeshua's words, and Paul, and, and on, it's like there's always something missing. It's always like you get through it and you're like, I feel like he, he means to say this, but it doesn't really come out quite that clearly. And, and now I feel like if I wasn't really paying attention, I'd have no clue what he was saying. Or, you know, it's like, why does God not give, like, a, you know, he has all this detail about the tabernacle. Why doesn't he just say, right. and the Messiah is going to, he's going to have this hair color and this, you know, face shape. His name is going to be such and such, and this is what he, exactly what he's going to do. Why does he say that in Genesis? But he waits, well, he doesn't really ever say that. So it's really interesting about this is the idea that oftentimes the mysteries of God the beauty of God, the brilliance of the tabernacle is beneath the covering of takash skins. It's stuff that you have to dig, you have to be intentional about. And I think that's, I think to me, it's God's way of, of basically saying that if you're not willing to put in the effort, this isn't for you. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. I think picking up that on that idea and taking it back to another drosh as it pertains to us being the tabernacle, what does that teach us about us? Mm that it's the inside of us. It is our heart. It is our way of thinking that must be set apart and holy and sanctified to God. The outside, the copper, which is a picture of of judgment, uh, but the the outer court of the tabernacle and later the temple was not a pretty place. It was a bloody place. It was... Uh, probably a little smelly. It was a there means was a of, to an end. It, there was a lot of stuff happening in the outer court, right? Yes. The outer court is where daily sacrifice takes place. Sure. Which is to say, the daily struggle with our flesh and our you know, selfish desires, what do we, you know, pick up your cross and follow me, what are you doing, you know. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the beauty of God in us is in us. Amen. 
it's, it's amazing that uh, unfortunately we've read things like we wrestle not with flesh and blood but with principalities and with powers and so on and most of the church just reads the first half of the verse we wrestle not let's join these guys it's fun out there but, but it is bloody we're in a battle we are wrestling and if you're not well maybe you need to question your salvation oh, I'm really am I supposed to say that Paul did Peter said test yourself to see if you're actually in the faith because maybe you're not this and actually from Hebrews 8 and 9 thanks for reading that this morning um, even though it was a bad translation because it reminded me of this idea of the tabernacle and the, the power that we see displayed. The explanation of the makeup of the universe is explained in these passages mm. and, and if we're only willing to see it and that the idea that the outside is ugly and utilitarian and the inside is where, where the beauty is 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 precisely what the point of the writer of Hebrews yes. was making. The yes. outside is this world and yet, God dwells in this world in, in, and is incorruptible at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, and the notion that he's, that he, it's interesting to me because in Hebrews, he talks about the first and the second. And you'd think if you're going to talk about heavenly tabernacle and earthly tabernacle, you'd get it the other way around. You'd say the heavenly tabernacle is the first. Since it is. Right? It was created first. Make it after this pattern. But the writer of Hebrews does this reverse. And he describes the earthly tabernacle as the first and then what he's doing is he's actually describing the the approach to the holy one and as he approaches the holy one he goes through the the ugly courtyard where the murder or not the murder but where the bloodshed is taking place well it depends if you're an animal rights person (laughs) where the bloodshed's taking place no no flies uh um and and you know as you gradually move into the if possible into the holy of holies that's where you know all of that stuff all that ugliness is left behind mm-hmm. and he does this this reverse where that's actually the first that's the pattern the inside that was the pattern of it all and he uses the, pa- the so the tabernacle is describing the makeup of the universe i mean things that are, that are incomprehensible to us are being explained in these simple measurements of of and, and time and space through are through tapestries that women weave. Exactly. You know, Whoa. I mean, it's, it's pretty uh, uh, astounding. That, sound, that sounds pretty mystical to me. It's totally <laughs> mystical. And, and, but that's the problem is we read those passages and we somehow want to use them as, as condemnation of another group or condemnation of, of a people or a religion or whatever else and miss the or point practice. that we've been given, we've been given, you know, physics at the PhD, at the PhD level and beyond. You bet. Yeah. I'm thinking about going. Sorry. Good. Someone else? Good. Mystical level, because we're having fun with that. Um, your point about the outside representing the physical, the outer court sort of representing the physical, and the inside being the, the inside, the holy place, reminds me of um, the idea that in Judaism, oftentimes when we think about the Yetzer Hara and Yetzer Atob, the evil inclination and the good inclination, it's described very much um, the like the, the, uh, right, the, um, the idea that one is always bad and one is always good. But Judaism argues that the evil inclination at its core is really just your physical desires, which of course incites you ultimately to do evil because if you listen only to your physical desires, you'll do bad things. But they actually say that ideally, and Isaac is is lifted up as a patriarch in part because his ability to master 
the evil inclination and actually use it to God. And I think about the outer, the outer court of the tabernacle, it's really cool because um, first and foremost, it's a place of eating. You get out there, you make, you're, you're cooking all this meat, and they Stick. actually repeatedly say, you shall eat it inside the, this court. That's right. <laughs> Perpetual barbecue. And there's all of this food consumption. In the presence of no the dairy and it's, Yeah, and it's all of this food consumption. And again, but what's its purpose? It's eating, physical desires being fulfilled, the yetzer hara, in a sense, being satisfied in the service of God. Then you think about the, the labor, the other object that's inside the outer tabernacle. The labor is made of mirrors. And the sages look at this and they go, who, who had mirrors? Well, the women had mirrors. And Moses goes, wait a minute, I don't know God about using like the mirrors for the women because the mirrors, you know, that's, that's kind of making women beautiful to make their husbands desire them. And God goes, no, 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 no. This is, um, the mirrors were used by women to, in, to incite their husbands towards them so that they could perpetuate the nation. The men would come back from slavery, they'd be exhausted. And women use the mirrors to beautify themselves to, in order to bear children to keep the nation growing. The mirrors are a beautiful thing. And they use the mirrors to make the bronze labor, which cleanses the priests. And so again, I think of the Yetzer Hara. Here we have the two most core physical appetites, the, the, the stomach appetite and the sexual sex, appetite, yeah. um, being used in the service of God. Amen. And that yeah. concept is really pretty powerful. So we, we can do that. We can use the physical things to God's service. That is so outside the Christian mindset. Wow. I think you may not be saying <laughs> A couple of things to throw out. I had someone once tell me that um, that there was, I just like this phrase, that there was something holy in the midst of the struggle. Mm. I think there is, like yeah. Jake. Yeah. yeah. And I think that the um, brainiacs, like Hawking and those types, yeah. there actually is a word that's describing sort of some of the. Space time. I mean, it's literally like to be the oh, yeah. one. There is a continuum. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. No, no question. There is a space time continuum, and you know we see in uh, Back to the Future that it gets a little messed up if you don't have a, enough gigawatts of uh, electricity. You have to have God in charge, otherwise that's, it's going to get messed. Up. That's exactly right. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm just tired of sitting here. Aren't you? Yes. Yeah. Mm. So uh, I, I do want to encourage you. Um, you're not going to hear it for another week or so, but this is the time of our redemption. Upon us is the beginning of the religious year. Upon us is the beginning of the story. It's the start of it all. It's the festival that kicks it off. And I want to encourage you to embrace Passover with everything you got. I want you to embrace it to the point where people notice. I strongly disagree with the sages and their take that you can get the leaven out of your home, stick it in your garage, put a tarp over it, and when Passover is done, pull it back out again. I strongly disagree with that. And I don't disagree with it because they're sages of blessed memory. I disagree with it because it spoils the story. We need to get that leaven out of our lives. We need to be purified. We need to cleanse our homes. We need to cleanse our lives. We need to cleanse our hearts. We need to teach our children that it's a regular deal. And once it's gone, just like those rocks on Rosh Hashanah, thank you, at the Tashlik service, those sins are gone. God forgets them. We won't do them anymore. 
So I want to encourage you, if you want to give away, sell your leaven to a Gentile who's not keeping Passover, I want to encourage you that if you want to give it to them, it'd be a great opportunity. What do you do? Give it to a Gentile. Or eat it. Give it, it to a believer. Well, yeah, to yeah. One that. would they think you're eating it all. Yeah. But if you've got stuff away, left over, I think you ought to give it to a neighbor because there's no way you can show up with a wheelbarrow full of food and not have them go, what are you doing this for? What am I doing this for? Have I got a story to tell you? As a matter of fact... We've got a whole meal planned around telling a story. Are you busy next Tuesday night? You know, that kind of thing. Although, deal. if you really want to do this, I'm going to have to take this wheelbarrow to the next house. That's right. That's right. right. You know? <laughs> I, think, I think you've got a... You know, at, when we were in the church, we were, we were actually taking classes and looking for ways that we could share our faith with the world. Trying to come up with clever things like armbands and wristlets and bumper stickers and fuzzy gloves <laughs> when in fact we've been given throughout the year visible stories to tell do it people for goodness sakes it's upon us if you are a person who prays from the sitter on a regular basis when we come back in two weeks and it is Shabbat Hagadol, the big Sabbath. It's because it's the Sabbath right before Passover. That Shabbat should be a watchword for you because that is the point in our Siddur when you change and you start to read some of the stuff or not read some of the stuff. The year is busted down into two halves in the Siddur. From Rosh Hashanah to Pesach, and from Pesach to Rosh Hashanah. We're about to end the first half of it. So the stuff that you always say, now we won't say it again until we get to Rosh Hashanah. Actually, after Rosh Hashanah. The sitter's going to change, the prayers are going to change. The Pirkei Avot book that I have is up on the counter over there. After Shabbat Hagadol and Passover's behind us, we're going to start reading the, the ethics of the fathers, these great words of the sages, and laugh at some of them and cry at others. As we read that for six months, we've got an opportunity to go through what they were saying and why. Be aware, folks. Don't walk in a cloud wondering about your faith. Your faith is alive and it changes daily and certainly monthly. And it's about to change. Get with the program. This is the time, the season for our redemption. If you say the Shehekiyanu blessing at any time, thank you God for getting us to this season and this time. That's what this is about. Because all of you managed to live this long. He's allowed you to make it to this season. Don't blow it. We open our prayers every Shabbat by saying, Who's going to praise you, Lord? Who's actually going to? Pagans aren't. The Muslims are definitely not going to do that. Hindus? I don't think so. It's the righteous. It's the devout. It's, it's us. Our mouths should be praising Him. And that includes sharing our faith and what we're doing at this season, at this time, with other people. And it's not just an invitation to come to your Savior. It's what you're going to do with the leaven. 
It's mentioning you while you're standing in the line at Harris Teeter. It's when you go to Earth Fair and you say to the person, oh, I would love to get that, but I'm going to have to wait two weeks because we can't have leaven this week, right? Talk to them like they're a believer. Talk to them like they know the scriptures. And when they look at you like you're nuts, <laughs> look at them like they're nuts. Oh, you don't get it? Yeah. God told us, include them. You will be surprised. Yes, sir. To me, one of the one of my most favorite things about Passover is actually not the Seder itself, although I love the Seder. What I personally enjoy the most is doing Bedechat Hametz with my kids. Yeah. Bedechat Hametz, for those of you who don't know what that is, that is the traditional search for leaven. Mm-hmm. And there is no greater tradition that speaks to the work of Messiah Yeshua mm-hmm. in our lives. And built for kids. And built for kids. Built, designed to teach kids the whole thing. Amen. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so for those of you who have kids or who are hoping to have kids or whatever, it's a good, that's a good tradition to really embrace because yeah. it is, it's amazing. If you don't have any kids... If you're married and don't have borrow kids some. yet, borrow kids. <laughs> Maybe you got, you know, there's kids next door. Just yeah, borrow them. Cool, yeah. Go, go show, tell their, tell their parents. We're gonna do the Betacat Hametz. Um, we need some kids. Can we borrow yours? Come with us. And they're gonna look at you like you're nuts. Then tell them the story. All right. Final comment. Yes. Sir. I've done that. And I mean, Passover. Oh my gosh. And I've lost friends over. Oh, yeah, well, that's certainly going to happen. What's the point? What's your point? I don't point? know, and, and I, if you want to just, uh, another thing along the same lines we talked about earlier, the allowing, God allowing things. I have problems with that. I struggle with that a lot, because what comes up in my head? The Holocaust. Newtown, really explain that to me. Okay, that's, kinds of things. that's a different... I know, and I story, and we can, and we can, to do that. no, 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 but that's okay. We can, we can work on that one. That yeah, one's actually yeah. easy. The one before that, that you've lost friends, to me, yeah, I, I'm like, what's your point? I, I know. What's the problem? I hear you. Yeah, right? That's you. going to happen. But you make new friends. I know. You do make new friends, and the idea, as far as I'm and concerned, maybe it could be a hundred years from now for that. Something you would never know. That's right, because you're, you're planting. Exactly. He's watering. This guy's going to be the one that, that actually. Harvests. I think the point is, we should be out there doing the work. We should be talking about the story. You don't have to make anything up. Just talk about what you're doing. And if it turns people off, so be it. He didn't. We're not here to make friends. We're not here to make friends. We are here to influence people. That's a take on a different book. Let's influence people. If anything, where are they going to get a, a, an example of righteousness? But from us? Well, that's scary. <laughs> it is. That God would choose to it. put the <laughs> eternal destiny of people in our hands. Especially oh me. God. He'd probably do better with you. But with me, no. that's, that's scary. Let's <laughs> pray together, shall we? Father God, I thank you so much. For Shabbat HaChodesh, 
and that you have allowed us to reach this season. Father, we thank you for the, the festival ahead that you've written into your day planner where you choose and have asked us to meet with you a moed of the Most High. Father, I pray that we would not only be faithful, uh, as many of us are, to prepare for the Sabbath, but also that we would be faithful ahead of time, because it takes longer to prepare to meet with you, to prepare for this moed, for this meeting time. Grant us wisdom, Father. Grant us courage as we share our faith, your story, and our commitment with others. Father, I pray that you would at least provide a gentle turning away of wrath with the gentle words that we would attempt to use to share the truth of our salvation with others. In the end, that your Son, our Savior, the Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, would be lifted up and glorified. May he soon come and reign in Jerusalem in our days. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, folks. Thank you, God.